Thank you and good morning everyone. I'm so appreciative of the fact that that First Christian Church can continue to deliver the good news, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, even though we're not meeting together at 231 East Fudge Street. And so we're glad to be able to reach out uh, online uh, through uh, social media, uh, the radio 101.9. It's a blessing that uh, we can still preach the word, Facebook, Thank you for joining us uh, on whatever uh, media means uh, you've joined us today. Uh, glad to be able to, to bring you good news about Jesus, our Lord and Savior. You know, on Easter uh, Sunday morning, uh, we looked in the message there, uh, primarily from Luke chapter 24, uh, and we noted three satanic devices that Satan used on the followers of Jesus uh, that Resurrection Sunday. And one of those devices, if you remember, maybe you joined us on Easter, uh, one of those devices was unbelief or doubt. And in that message, uh, under the doubting uh, area, I mentioned one of my favorite Bible stories that I, that I love so much, and it highlights this area of unbelief and doubt. So I'd like to address that uh, this morning, and that story is over in Mark chapter 9. And I'm going to read you that story, verses 14 through 27, and I'll be reading from the New International Version. And uh, I want us to look kind of deeply into this area of doubting and unbelief, uh, because it's so important for the Christian, as well as for the unbeliever. So the Bible says, and, and Jesus and, and the three uh, inner circle disciples, Peter, James, and John, had been up on the mountain. Uh, the, we call it Transfiguration Mountain, and there they were transfigured. Jesus was transfigured in glory. And uh, they then are coming down off of the mountain, and the Bible says when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they couldn't. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, Everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Now, I'm going to back up in the scripture here to the main verse where the father is pleading 
for Jesus to help his son. And I guess this moves my heart because I have three daughters. I have children, now grandchildren, you know, and when they're sick and when maybe they're uh, in danger, we pray extra hard. We ask the Lord's help. And so we can relate to this father. And he, he pleads with Jesus and says, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus says, if, if you can. And I think in the NIV and some of the modern translations, there's a question mark there. It's a question. But if you check it out real closely, there's also a possibility that the emphasis shouldn't be on the word can, but on the word you. As if Jesus is saying to the Father, no, 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 if you can. Because in the next sentence, he says, everything is possible to the one who believes. And that stresses faith, doesn't it? On our part. And the Bible says immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Dear friends, faith, belief, is the key ingredient for salvation. And do you also know that faith is the key ingredient for living a victorious Christian life? And we know scriptures about faith that, uh, that stress this. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, of course, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I love the story over in Matthew 9, where Jesus is confronted by two blind men and they want to be healed. And, and Jesus says, uh, do you believe that I can do this? I'm able to do this? And, and they replied and said, yeah, we believe that you can. And Jesus replied, according to your faith, then may it be done to you. And they were healed because they believed. In that faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, we love the sixth verse, don't we? Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And this father in the Mark chapter 9 story, he was earnestly seeking Jesus. He believed that Jesus could heal his son. How important is faith in the Christian scheme of things? In the book of Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is talking about Abraham in the Old Testament, and we often call him the father of faith, don't we? And Paul says in verse 3, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. What was credited to him as righteousness? His faith. Now, he obeyed God explicitly, but it was his faith that gave him righteousness before God. And I love what Paul does with that theme in that chapter, and down in verses 23 and 24, he says, the words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. It's true. We are saved by grace through faith. I love Colossians 2 and verse 12 having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Dear friends, when we are immersed or baptized into Christ, it's the preacher that raises us from the watery grave, but it's the Lord Jesus Christ that gives us new life out of death through our 
faith. So in reality, you and I come to the point often when we have to say, with this father, I do believe. But help me overcome my unbelief. We all relate to this father. And so usually I title this sermon, Between Belief and Unbelief. And I'm convinced that's where most of us live. Somewhere between faith and doubt. Um, you remember one time the disciples came to Jesus with, with the uh, statement, Lord, increase our faith. Uh, maybe as if he could snap his fingers and then have more faith. Of course, uh, we know that oftentimes our faith increases the same way uh, we get patience, right? We have to go through tough times, bad experiences. But we all live where this father lived. I, sometimes I think if, if we had some kind of a gauge that could measure our faith, you know, on the left side is zero, where we have no faith at all. We have doubts about everything. And on the other side uh, it is good, uh, strong faith. And somewhere every day we live somewhere between those two extremes, between belief and unbelief. Let me throw just some brief statements at you so that you can kind of ride the same boat I'm riding in, okay? I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I do. I believe that with all my heart. But sometimes I have to say with this Father, help my unbelief, Lord, because sometimes I doubt his all-sufficiency in my life, even though I believe he's the Christ, the Son, the living God. You know, Paul wrote in Philippians 4 and verse 19 and said, My God will meet or supply all your needs according to his uh, glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Well, that's a great statement. And uh, we, we need to believe that. But sometimes I'm wondering if we do, you know, we're going through this coronavirus pandemic and I see people's faith waning and then getting stronger and then waning again. We, we hear good news. We hear bad news. We hear about deaths. We hear about more and more diagnosis of the disease. We need faith in God. But sometimes we doubt his all-sufficiency. I, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But sometimes I have to pray, just like this dad, help my unbelief, because there are times when I fail to make him Lord of my life, because Jesus wants to be Lord. Perhaps the greatest names for Jesus is a triplet, and you see it throughout the New Testament, Lord Jesus Christ. But is he Lord? We looked at Thomas two weeks ago on Easter, and uh, we, we love to talk about doubting Thomas, don't we? Uh, he said, I, I won't believe that he, he rose from the dead until I can, I can put my fingers where the nails were and my, and my hand in his side where the spear pierced him. And you remember a week later, Jesus appeared to him and said, okay, Thomas, here you go. And uh, Thomas just simply replied, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, you know, Thomas, because you have seen, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And I told you on Easter, that's us. We, we don't literally see. We can't literally feel those nail prints. We just have to believe, though unseen. 
if you've probably heard the phrase, if Jesus can't be Lord of all, he can't be Lord at all, I, I need to make him Lord of all. But sometimes I have to pray, help my unbelief. I, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But often I have to pray, help me, help my unbelief, because I forget that Jesus is coming back again. You know, in Luke chapter 18, the last part of verse 8, Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That, that's what he's going to be looking for. Uh, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But I'm wondering, do I live every day as if today could be the day he comes back? Well, let me throw something else at you. I believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. And some of you are probably saying in the background, amen to that. I believe the Bible is the word of God too. But, you know, sometimes, even though I believe that, I have to pray with this Father, help my unbelief, because I often resist its teachings and its counselings for my life. Uh, Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is God-breathed or given by the inspiration of God and is useful. Useful for what? Teaching rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness that the man of God or the person of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Um, you know, we may not understand everything that's in the Bible, but we better stand on everything. Um, I, I Sometimes, even though I believe the Bible is the word of God, I have to pray with this Father, help my unbelief, because I sometimes doubt its power to change lives. I find myself sometimes wanting to witness my faith in Jesus without quoting scripture. Let me challenge you, whenever you're talking to a non-Christian or somebody about the faith, use all the scripture you can because scripture is powerful. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. In Hebrews 4.12, he says the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. Uh, it's the Word of God that changes lives. I believe the Bible is the Word of God. Sometimes I have to pray with this Father, help me. Help my unbelief because I forget that when Jesus comes back again, we're going to be judged by the Bible. We're going to be judged by the Scriptures. In Revelation 20 and verse 12, John wrote and said, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before the throne. The books were open." Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to the things that were recorded in the books. What books? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the scriptures. Did you know that Jesus said in John chapter 12 and verse 48, at the end of the verse, the very words I have spoken to you will judge people on the last day. The very words Jesus spoke. That may give us a little bit better image of what's going to happen on the judgment day. We just hear those words of Jesus, every sin, every mistake, and maybe the exact words Jesus had to say about it. And you know, Crowder does that popular song now, the red letters. Maybe we need to give more heed to the red letters. We're going to be judged by Jesus' words. Well, let's do one more. I believe that the church is the body of Christ on earth. And I hope you do too. The Bible says Jesus died for the church, gave himself up for the church. 
But you know, sometimes I have to pray with this father. I believe, but help my unbelief. Because I'm tempted many times to make the church a lesser priority in my life. Church is a wonderful institution. It's the body of Christ. You remember when Paul was persecuting the church, he was called Saul then. And the Lord met him on the road to Damascus when he was on his way to imprison and maybe even kill Christians. And struck him down with a blinding light. And Paul said, who are you? And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. What did he mean there? Hey, Saul, you persecute my people, you're persecuting me because that's my body, my body of believers. So I'm tempted many times to make uh, the church a lesser priority in my life. Um, this is the family of God, the church, the body of Christ. I, I have to pray with this, Father. I, I believe uh, that the church is Christ's body, but I help my unbelief, Lord, because I often forget that the church is the only institution on earth that is dedicated to preaching the gospel and the saving of souls. The only one. You know, uh, the church has a great mission. Uh, the, the church has a great commission, and it's all about preaching the, the good news and saving souls. Now, there are a lot of good institutions, clubs, fraternities, sororities, a lot of good groups that are doing wonderful things here on earth, but only one of them is totally committed to saving souls, and that's the church. In Ephesians 3, 10, and 11, Paul wrote and says his intent, God's intent, was that now through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. I believe that the church is the body of Christ. But sometimes I have to pray with this Father, help me, help my unbelief. Because I need to be reminded that when Jesus comes back again, he's coming for the church. Did you know that? We've already established that he is coming back again. Remember in John 14 and verse 3, Jesus told his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you to my sight, that where I am, there you may be also. Uh, he's coming for the church. In Revelation 19 and verse 7, we hear these wonderful words, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Did you know the books of the New Testament were written to local churches or to the leaders of those local churches? Uh, and those letters were distributed to local communities where the body of believers met for worship. We need to believe strongly in the local body of believers, the local church. In Hebrews 10 and verse 25, the Hebrew writer says, uh, Don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but do it all the more as you encourage one another. That's written about local bodies of believers. Don't we miss it right now? <laughs> Don't we wish that we could be together, that we could maybe even shake a hand or at least bump an elbow? in the assembly of the church. Uh, I'm a believer. 
But sometimes, just like this father, I struggle. And I have to say, help my unbelief. Um, maybe you are listening or watching today and you find that you're in a position of this father. I can't, I can't judge or tell you where you are on this scale. Only you can do that. But I can tell you that we must trust. Now, I'm going to close with an illustration that I have used over and over again. And some of you First Christian Church people that are listening and watching, you're saying, I've heard this sermon before. Yes, you have. <laughs> and this is one of those sermons that I think bears repeating at least once a year. Because we need to measure ourselves where we are. And I have told this story to kids. I have told this story to people on the edge of death. And it's about a tightrope walker that uh, one time went to Niagara Falls. And uh, he stretched a rope across the falls. And just in doing that, he gained a crowd around him. And finally, when he was ready, he stood up on the edge of the falls and he said to the crowd, how many of you think that I could walk across there and back without falling? And, you know, some of them said, yeah, uh, you could do that. You're a professional. And what they were really saying is, I'd love to watch you do it, whether you fall or not. Huh? So he turned around, went across on that rope, turned around and came back to the applause and the cheers of all that crowd. And then he strapped a big old basket on his back, heavy basket. And he said, how many of you think I can walk across there and back with this heavy basket on my back? And now they're getting into it. And they're saying, yeah, we think you can do that. We believe you can do that. He turns around, goes across, comes back. And the crowd was going wild. And then he, he looked at them and he said, how many of you think I can go across there and back with somebody in that basket? And they went wild again. Yeah, we believe you can do that. You can do that because they wanted to see it done. And he looked at them and he said, who of you would be willing to get in the basket? I think that illustration bears witness to our need to believe with all of our hearts better than any other I've ever heard before other than write scripture itself. How much do you believe? You know, um, it's true that the only way that you and I are going to get to heaven is by faith, by trusting the merits of the Lord Jesus when he died for us on the cross, not our own merits. Our merits, as good as they might be, will not get you one step toward heaven. Now, we're supposed to do good works once we become Christians, but only our faith can get us there. You know, you have to get the basket. You have to trust the Lord Jesus Christ to get you to the other side. I'm willing. I, I, I'm asking uh, this morning, are you willing to get in the basket? If you're a non-Christian, are you willing to get in the basket? Uh, Christian, are you living your life like you're in the basket? Are you really depending on the Lord to supply your needs and to prepare you for eternity. Every step you take, trust in Jesus to lead you and to guide you. I do believe. Help my unbelief. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I'm going to ask that we pray together.
then there, I think there's going to be a song as we go off the air. Uh, may the Lord bless you from day to day. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, shed his blood for our forgiveness, our eternity. And thank you for faith. Lord, help us to grasp hold of that which will never let us go. Help us to get in the basket and to trust Jesus to get us to the other side. Bless those that are on the edge of deciding for Jesus this morning. Help them to continue to take that step and to live for him. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
Do I?